on today's episode of Surf Splendor. How cool is this? Adriana D'Souza is giving this old bastard some advice. I loved it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm saying that I'm a super stoked guy. I love my surfing experience. I love surfing when it's three foot. I love surfing when it's 10 feet. And as surfers, we are so lucky that we have that opportunity to continually push ourselves throughout our surfing lives. That's right. We're bringing you a candid conversation with Sean Thompson, discussing the importance of storytelling, surfing as metaphor for life, and his new book, The Code. That's right now on an all new episode of Surf Splendor. A moment of business before we get into today's show. Surf Splendor is completely free, but you can support the show, and we need your support to help grow the show organically. Do so by sharing the show with a friend. Tell them verbally, send them a link to our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, or promote it via social media where you can find us, at Surf Splendor. Thanks in advance, and enjoy today's show. Welcome to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. Surf Splendor is simply conversations about surfing. For today's show, we bring you a conversation with Sean Thompson. Where does one even begin giving an introduction to Sean Thompson? There is so much ground to cover. I originally had this interview outlined to cover Sean's history, what it was like venturing from South Africa as a young teenager to the North Shore of Hawaii in the early 70s, his Pipe Masters win in 1975, his world title win in 1977, but I decided to go a different direction. All of those events have been widely covered in the surf media, and in fact, Sean himself produced a Hollywood-quality documentary in 2006 called Bustin' Down the Door. And that tells a lot of those stories. It's actually available on Netflix, and you should definitely see it if you haven't already. But all of those stories are really important to surf history, and we've posted links to all the stories on our website, so I highly encourage you to study up on Sean's history. What has defined Sean's life, however, are not the events that have taken place, but rather his response to each event. The decision whether or not to paddle back out after a near-death wipeout at Waimea, those are the types of moments that forge one's character. And that is precisely the topic of Sean's new book entitled The Code. Sean has publicly surmounted huge feats and suffered devastating losses in his life. But it is the transitions and the recoveries that he and I discussed on a warm afternoon in mid-October on a park bench in Huntington Beach, California. I'm gonna start with a real long, sorted introduction, so just follow me through sure, it, and okay. then, um, you know, go from there. And it's actually a quote from chapter 10 in the book, which is the chapter I will imagine. Um, and you say in that chapter, it says- Chiefs. <laughs> what? Talking about Chiefs. Exactly. And um, after you describe that tube, you talk, you say, um, I see a complementary relationship between our actions in life and our imagination. Each defines and is defined by the other. This holds true for my surfing. The more I surf, the more possibilities open up to me, and the more possibilities I can imagine, the better my surfing becomes, and the richer the entire surfing experience. 
I personally resonate, that resonated with me. And I think um, surfers, even if they can't articulate it, know that there's on a macro level and a micro level in surfing, a lot of metaphor for life, you know, um, a lesson in patience maybe and waiting for the better wave rather than being antsy and jumping on the good wave, waiting for the better opportunity. Um, I feel like whenever artists try to recreate that metaphor or explain that metaphor, they fail oftentimes, especially in Hollywood, trying to showcase surfing to the greater public. You know, it, it comes across cheesy or corny. I think you have found a platform where you're able to articulate that very, um, like the beauty and the nuance of surfing, you're able to articulate it very effectively to the public at large. I mean, it resonates with surfers, but I think to the public who doesn't surf, it resonates as well. And you've been able to do that with your writing and perhaps your public speaking as well. Um, can you tell me about how you found that process and why it's important for you, you know, to articulate that? I think because I think my motivation comes from a very pure place, firstly. Um, my motivation to talk about surfing, my motivation to share my message, my motivation to share the stories, my motivation to share um, what I love about surfing. It comes from from just giving back to what surfing has given me. So surfing has given me so much uh, in my life, and I don't mean just from an economic perspective. I mean from um, from many, many different aspects of my life, how surfing has enriched in my hardest times in my life. Surfing has um, shown me a way forward. Um, surfing has been my solace. Surfing has been my, um, my refuge. Surfing has been uh, responsible for some of the greatest moments of my life just from an exhilaration, yeah. uh, sensation standpoint. It's taught me so much about life. So... And my motivation to, to share comes not to sell books, not to sell board shorts, not to sell t-shirts, not to enrich a brand, but it, gives, it comes from a pure motivation just to give back something yeah. that surfing's given me. So I think when you have, um, when your motivation comes from, from a pure undiluted place just to give, it's, um, it's, I think it's a lot easier to speak the message because the message about, is about truth mm. um, when I talk about surf metaphors mm -hmm. um, and how it responds to life they also they all come from personal experience so when I talk about uh, I'll always paddle back out yeah when I talk about having a terrible crushing my paddle my man I thought I was going to die um, and, and what I had to do and where to find the courage from to paddle back out um, it's personal experience. It's not something I, I read from a Peter Drucker management book or I read in, uh, uh, from Robin Sharma or Tony Robbins. It's like pure. It's, it's, it's from my core, core experience. So it's true. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you're speaking about your own experience, it's, it's so much easier to articulate clearly what you felt. Um, also, you know, as a surfer, you sit and you wait, and you wait for a long time. You spend a lot more time waiting and thinking about waves than you do about riding them. Because waves are very short. You know, maybe you get like an unbelievable tube ride, and you can have like one of the greatest tube rides you've ever ridden in, you know, less than 30 seconds. Yeah. But you might have traveled, you know, halfway around the world, 
you might have you know, been in a plane for 33 hours, you might have been in a car for four hours, you might have taken you half an hour to paddle out through crushing surf and you might have waited for that wave for an hour then you've ridden that wave for less than 30 seconds. So you spend a lot of, I've spent a lot of time thinking and I, and I think about my surfing. So my surfing was instinctive but I think my surfing was also based on thought and based on, on imagination. That's why my latest book, In the, in the Code, I encourage young people to use my book as an exercise and I encourage them to write their own code. It takes 30 minutes, it's 12 lines, every line begins with our will. And it's both about thought and it's about instinct as well. It's a stream of consciousness exercise in which the young person or an older person, I mean a lot of corporate executives are doing it now, yeah, yeah. you sit for 30 minutes, you think about yourself, think about like what really deeply motivates you, what your core values are, and you think about where you want to go, you make 12 promises to yourself. So the reason that I think the exercise should be done quickly is because it's got to be both instinctive and it's got to be both thoughtful, it has to be a fusion of the two. Surfing's got power, man, you know, all you've got to do with surfing is just got to look below the surface a little bit, just like yeah. look under your board. Yeah. Um, and there are surfers out there who are unbelievably talented athletes and as individuals who are also incredibly thoughtful. You know, everyone thinks of Kelly Slater, wow, man, this guy is just like 41 years old, like 11 more titles, like this machine, this competitive machine. But when you talk to Kelly, Kelly is an incredibly connected spiritual person. Yeah. You know, I asked Kelly, hey, man, you had this like, Insane final against Andy Irons. I asked him after the final. Like, I was sitting there watching you. The final. You needed a 9-3. You had 30 seconds left. Andy was walking up the beach like, yeah, I won. You know, like walking up the beach like this. I said, and I just happened to be in the commentary booth every now and then. I do some commentary for events. It's very, very rare. Um, and I was sitting there watching it, and, I, and man, I know JB better than anyone. I reckon I know that lineup better than anyone, or almost anyone. Um, and I was three wave set. And I'm sitting up high, and I can see it's a three wave set. And you can't see it's a three wave set. Time's ticking down. The first wave, you let it go. Second wave, let it go. Third wave, swing around. And you go, and you get a 9 4. Uh, you, win, you win the final, maybe one of the greatest finals. Yeah, I remember that. You ever won? It was like unbelievable. So I said, like, tell me about it. Like, Chris, you know, I'm thinking like some surface it just connected, like current. Yeah. The current was like connected, you know, he had this sort of innate understanding of the movement of the ocean and his place in the universe. So he said, you know, I was finished. Exhausted. I had nothing left. I had no gas left. He said, and I just sat there. He said, two dolphins swam past me. He said, and I followed them. And they took me to where I needed to be. So this is the connection that, that gifted surfers have with the universe, with, with, uh, with nature. And when there's this fusion of like incredible athletic talent and... Um, 
I don't want to call it emotional awareness, it's like universal awareness. These guys, it's amazing to see their gifts in action, and there are some people like that, and it's thought, and it's instinct, it's the fusion yeah. of the two. And, you know, that, that, that sort of duality has, I think, that touches everything that, that, that I do, that, that, that duality of, of thought, um, instinct and then um, the underlying everything for me is, is just inspiration. You know, the surfing's given me this gift, this wonderful, it's inspired me all my life, and, and, and uh, hopefully the projects that I do, I will inspire other people too. But that is what they are designed to do. Well, you started off that um, response by saying that when the um, when you're that sincere, you know, when the inspiration is sincere and genuine, that it has um, just more impactful message. Can you talk about the inspiration behind writing this book? I think writing a book is a large undertaking and it takes a certain amount of determination and perseverance. And also the audience, the demographic that it's directed at, young people, it takes a certain amount of altruism to spend that amount of time giving them that gift. So can you talk about the inspiration behind writing the code? Well, I think it's... um... You know, it's inspired by the loss of my beautiful son. I lost him when he was 15 and a half in 2006 to just playing stupid game, just this taking a risk that, that, that he, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have taken. And I, and I know that, you know, what my wife and I had to endure, it was terrible, man, the pain and the suffering um, and trying to find our way back to, like, to the light after that. And there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, young people you know, there's um, 12,000 of them that die every year in the United States between 12 and 19. I call it the danger demographic from preventable accidents, from playing a game like my son played a choking game, suicide, um, drugs, alcohol, um, car accidents, homicide. There's a whole list of all preventable accidents, all just bad decisions. Yeah. That's what it is, it's bad decisions. So, if this book, by what I write and what I say, and when I go around and talk at schools and universities about it, um, can save one kid, they'd be unbelievable. Yeah. That, that's the mission accomplished, just one. Um, so, that, that sort of is one of the motivations. <clears throat> Another one is... Um, I mean, what the stimulus was. Okay, that's sort of maybe the underlying motivation. But I went and spoke at this little school in Santa Barbara, 80 kids, Anacapa School, the headmaster's a surfer. I met him in the water at Rincon. Oh, okay. Yeah, we started chatting, and it turns out that he was a headmaster. Did he know who you were, or just random? Yeah, no, he he knew knew me. Okay. I mean, in that sort of, I've been going to Rincon surfing since the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Older guy, most older guys, they know me. so I went to speak at the school, and while I was talking to the kids, I'd just talk about surface code, about these metaphors, about this, the lessons that surfing's taught me about life. Um, I said, listen, what I'd like you kids to do is, is do an assignment for me. I said, I'd like you to write your own code. I'd like you to write 12 promises to yourself. It's like simple. 12 lines, every line begins with our will. Half an hour. And send me the answers. Which just I just had a. This was last year. I had just like spur of the moment, brainwave, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Brainwave, I like it. <laughs> uh, so um, 
the kids send me the responses. I don't know, maybe 80 times 12, so I got like maybe a thousand lines of code. And the very first one was, I will be myself. I will be myself. From a young girl. Yeah, I thought, man, that's so profound. Eh? But what youth's facing today? Peer pressure, bullying. What happened to my son? Um, my son didn't learn about choking game from me. Maybe sort of the web, a mate told him. So young people have great power for good and they have great power for evil too. So when I when I read this, oh man, it's just so amazing. Like a kid just going, I'm gonna be myself. I'm not gonna be a victim. I'm not gonna do what someone else wants me to do. I'm just gonna be myself. And I just thought it's like an anthem. It like spoke to me like a song. You know, like you hear a song and you can't get it out of your mind. Mm -hmm. I'll be myself. I think it was so profound. So I thought, got to write a book. So, um, my first book was a collaboration with Patrick Moser. Patrick had never done a book. I'd never done a book. I met him at a talk I was doing about Surface Code. And he came up to me after. He says, Sean, I think this would make a terrific book. Let's write a book together. And I said, well, I've never written a book. He said, well, I haven't, but I'm a professor of French literature. I know something about writing, you know. <laughs> So we, we collaborated together on, uh, on Surface Code. And as soon as this young girl, when I read this, I mean, found out Patrick, I said, Patrick, let's do another book. Um, we did the first one together. Um, and let's, let's do another one. And we, and we worked on, on, uh, on the code together. So I'm hoping that the book is, is a stimulus for young people all over the world to write their own code and not just write it share it mm -hmm. because this young girl shared her code with me I'll be myself and I thought wow man it motivated me to do something like maybe there's a kid out there who's having a troubled time and a friend shares something cool with them maybe I'll help them uh, so the goal is getting all these kids I don't exactly know I'm going to do it yet but getting all these kids write the code, write the code, and share it, yeah, and send it out there into the world. So it's like this wave, to use a surfing metaphor, it's like a wave <clears throat> of positive energy that just keeps running around the world. You know, we'll get a storm, create a surf in Malibu that's generated by a storm in New Zealand. Uh, but what about if that that storm just kept going? That wave just kept building. So. And it builds momentum. But it's built momentum. I'm just hoping, hoping, uh, hoping it happens. And, and what it is, it doesn't cost one cent. I don't make anything out of it. It doesn't cost a cent. It's not like a okay. Well, let's let's like sell some energy drink. That's it's not. It's just yeah. like and, and kids helping each other, writing their own code, thinking about their future, thought and instinct, and then goodwill. Setting it out to help each other. It's simple. It, it's <clears throat> having, uh, you talk about that age 12 to 18 or 19. What, what it is, is having intention in your action during that age. Because I think a lot of kids, they, um, they don't, your brain isn't fully developed and you don't understand consequence at that age. No, you don't. So you act, act, and there are consequences. But what you're talking about is kind of applying a little bit of intention behind their, their action. And I think that directed in a good way is a good thing, yeah. you know? So. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, I've never thought of it thought of it that way. But I mean, I, I do know, and there've been many many studies about um, 
you know, at that age, maybe it's frontal, whatever, it's some part of the brain that's not fully, uh, yeah. fully developed, so kids don't understand the, um, you know, the consequences of their, their action. I mean, there have been numerous, numerous, numerous yeah. studies. But you know, with, when you go surfing, you understand, man. You screw up, man, you're going to get nailed on that coral. So, a lot of surfers are very, um, you know, I think there's that intimate understanding of cause and effect. Eh? There is. There's that understanding, you know, that you make a mistake and get punished. Yeah. There's a consequence. Whereas, I know that maybe there's a lot of, you know, maybe aimlessness is a problem in, in uh, modern society. Um, and there, those wonderful lessons that, you know, that, that surfing can teach you, you know, I'll always paddle back out. You know, you're going to paddle back out for that next wave. You're going to actually do something. You're going to commit. So there's, there's just powerful lessons for all of us in surfing. Yeah. I mean, they keep, surfing keeps teaching me uh, meaning lessons. Um, I made that note about always paddle back out. Um, another one of the chapters is titled um, I Will Face My Fears and can you share for the listeners the story of the pink banana yeah <laughs> yes, so, it's a real uh, practical application of facing so your fears it's interesting the you know that story is um, you know pipeline you know it's about running pipeline with this amazing board that turned out to be a fluke uh, and, and it was a board that, um, that I think maybe took surfing in a different direction in terms of performance capability. It sort of was a significant uh, technological improvement. And a lot of, I think, design innovations happened just like a fluke like that board did. It had so much curve in it that um, you could take a much later at pipeline and you could actually do maneuvers on the face because that wave was so hollow that uh, the boards of the time were really made for... Um, like riding in a straight line like sure know, like you know shooting that arrow down a tunnel um but that board was a fluke it was designed it was supposed to be based on a design by a guy called dick brewer who's a legendary hawaiian shape and i would taken some pictures of my one of my surf heroes at the time was a guy jeff hackman i would taken pictures of his board to take back to my shape i'd been in hawaii in 1974 um and i'd taken these pictures back and he tried to duplicate it but he couldn't quite get it right. So in order to get the curve of these, of this long Hawaiian gun, which was, when I say long Hawaiian gun, 710, it seems like massive. Mm-hmm. By today's standards, what guys are riding, but that was sort of the standard size between 710 and 880. That's what you used to ride at sunset. He couldn't get the curve I wanted in it, so he he laminated the board. Uh, so that means he put the fiberglass and, and put the resin on with a squeegee. And while it was drying, he put these huge, a huge pile of bricks on the nose and he bent the entire board as it was drying. So it, it had this sort of parabolic bend in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of having sort of a gentle curve and then a, a nose kick. So it ended up with this board that was like a banana. And I'd ordered a red board, like a classic Hawaiian gun, you know, like yeah. the classic Dick Brewer Hawaiian gun. And for some reason it came out pink. I don't know why it came out pink. And... Um, so there I am with a pink board that's just like a banana. Too and, much rocker. Uh, too much rocker. It looked like a dog. I took it out at sunset my first day day there and 
just had a terrible wipeout and got a board across both shins and the board was a dog it just spun out it was a terrible terrible board um, and then pipeline came up and I thought well I'll have a go at pipe and I didn't want to take take a uh, I'd gotten a sponsored board from lightning bolt I didn't want to take that out there so I thought well I'll just take out the pink demand I mean if I break it I don't care because it's such a dog anyway and uh, I remember paddling out there and you know pipeline was very intimidating oh, yeah. back then for us guys because it was just so steep, it was so radical, and uh, you know, like the, the, the kings were all goofy footers. Jerry Lopez was like the king there, Jerry Lopez, Roy Russell. Um, and they had this sort of the way they took off, they would take off at a slight angle. We had to go straight down, and uh, it's very hard not just, just, just the fear of paddling over that edge, but also the, the, um, you know, dropping in and coming around that corner because you'd be, you know, backhand, you couldn't really, it's at bottom 10, you coming around the corner, it was a lot of, a lot of fear associated with that too. Um, so it was very intimidating and then with that board I remember paddling out there and just swimming, swinging around on that wave and just like absolutely committing to that takeoff, committing, just like committing to the drop. And I find that when, when you commit the fear dissipates. The fear does go away. I know that. You know, I know that in business. I know that in all sorts of projects I've done. I mean, I've stepped in the deep end many times. And, you know, you have that, that sort of apprehension. Uh, but I think when you commit fully, um, the courage just comes. This is part of it. It's not like, well, where am I going to find the courage? It's just you commit. Just commit to it. And, um, and the courage just comes. And the board worked. Oh, the board worked unbelievable. So the first wave I swung around and I'm just going to go for it anyway. Also, the guys were giving me a bit of a hard time. I was walking down and, you know, hey, Sean, where are you going with the pink banana? <laughs> you know, giving me a bit of a, giving me a bit of an, actually, actually turned out it was a bit of an added incentive to, sure. to do well, you know, to like really have a good hard dig, have a good go, take two more strokes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that, in some ways, I suppose that, 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 that helped with it that I didn't want to, um, didn't want to humiliate myself because you know you want to you want to be respected by yeah. your peers and you know pipelines a small little sort of amphitheater there hiring for a small business is critical it's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do linkedin jobs will be your next big unlock linkedin jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals 
work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. But I, um... Well, the, the chapter is entitled, um, I will never give up. And obviously I think that's the point is you didn't give up and that the board worked, but more importantly, or kind of more lastingly, it was a design, um, it was an addition to surfboard design evolution in that what was a flaw was actually beneficial yeah. in that the rocker allowed you to get down the face of the wave. But then I've seen a photo of that board with you doing a turn in the lip almost yeah. at pipeline, which was something that we hadn't seen before. And so it really almost opened the doors to what the current shortboard thruster template is today. Yeah, I think, I think the board enabled, enabled really, really radical, really radical surfing in, yeah. in, in really dangerous radical waves. So I think you know, in, in that sense it was a... Um, you know, it was a revolutionary piece of equipment. But, you know, I've got to tell you, I'm not that sort of guy who just kind of looks back on my shoulder and, you know, like, oh, I'm living in the past. I'm not like that at all. You know, I mean, all the metaphors that, that are sprinkled throughout throughout the two books, um, you know, it's always about paddling out and catching that next wave, you know, looking towards the future, looking ahead, the light shines ahead. You know, when you pull into that barrel, you know, you're looking down the line, you're not looking over your shoulder. So while that period was a wonderful period for me and it was a great period of creativity and a great period um, of putting my life on the line for, for, for the dreams that I had, um, my surfing experience today is very vital. I love it. You know, last week I was surfing in the Wave Garden. I saw the footage. In, uh, I was surfing in the Wave Garden in, in Spain and, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience and I was out there in the water with this young Brazilian hotshot Adriana D'Souza and I'm 6'1", uh, 195 and Adriana is, uh, I said Adriana, like I'm riding a 6'2", I said Adriana how short your board? He said my board's 5'6", I said wow and he shows me this like, little chip and I mean Adriana it's so tiny so I'm standing next to him in the window. He says yeah but I'm only 5'5". Five five. Yeah. <laughs> I said well what do you weigh? He says I weigh 135. Oh so my I'm gosh. Going, this is before you've taken off I'm going Adriana like how am I going to ride this thing? Yeah. Okay, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. You'll be able to ride it. First wave comes through. I'm not lying. I paddle. I go over the front. No. Like, full on, just like cook out. Haven't like, done it in years, probably. Major. Like, yeah. I'm going, yeah, how about that? I can't even stand up on this. And I say to Adriana, hey, Adriana, man, I, like, I, I duffed it big time. I said, Wave just went by me. He said, Sean, this is what you got to do. Now, here's Adriana, the young Brazilian kid. I loved it. It was so cool. He's got giving me advice here. Now, this is what you got to do, Sean. you got to pedal towards the wall, and you got to ride towards the wall. And don't worry, you'll it's never you'll never hit hit the wall. And I'm going, I'm going, how cool is this? Adriana D'Souza is giving this old bastard some advice. I loved it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm saying that I'm a super stoked guy. I love my surfing experience. I love surfing when it's three foot. I love surfing when it's 10 feet. Yeah. Um, and as surfers, we are so lucky that we have that opportunity to continually push ourselves throughout our surfing lives. You know, most, I have friends who are pro sportsmen and when their career's done, their career's done. They're, 
their relationship with their sport is done. They are, they are now spectators. But even though I'm a spectator in, in the pro surfing aspect, that sliver of my existence, my surfing existence, the rest of my surfing existence is still super vital and I'm still super stoked guy and I still love to to push myself up against my own limits, of course. Uh, so, so we're very lucky that way. I'm telling you that because sometimes, uh, you know, oh, you talk about the good old days, and sure, the old days were good, the old days were great, but today's just as good or better. You know, yeah. That's that, that's kind of what I'm trying to. Yeah. And that's what that's, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, certain aspects of me live in the '70s, and that's like. Progressive rock, Steve Woodward and traffic. I'm still right there. You just talked about him <laughs> yesterday, actually. <laughs> but uh, Dave Mason, you know what I mean? Yeah. Procol Harum, Zeppelin. But there's a lot of me that loves Steve Winwood. <laughs> um, so the benefit of retrospection and looking back at the '70s is that you can now see how that um, added, kind of to or um, how it added growth your story you know or how that board design at that time maybe it was just a story that happened it's like wow I'm glad I made that wave but in retrospect you can see like wow it actually had a significant it was a catalyst yeah that that created something and so I think that's what helps with retrospection you know yeah it's interesting you know with that board I mean that board was sort of okay it was a technical innovation and and I was like right on it Um, and then a couple of years later um, I write about it um, as well, and I talked to the biggest companies in the world about this, about this concept of technological innovation and how your mind has to always be open. Mm-hmm. You can never have a shut mind and think, well, this is this is the way, because that's not the way. There are so many different ways. So I talk about a, uh, I read about um, about seeing Mark Richards for the first time on a tour film at Off the Wall at like my break, you know, and um, seeing him walk down the beach again. Let's see what Mark's got here. Mark was an unbelievable surf on a single, you know, he was a great, great rival, a good friend. And I saw him blast that first bottom turn and like accelerate on a small wave like I'd never seen before. And I could see like that was the future, man. There's the future. Yeah. That's the new technological advancement. But I didn't accept it. You know, the following day Mark and I had this insane double tube ride together. Oh yeah. And uh, maybe, the famous Yeah, it was yeah. a famous wave and a few days later and like I I was on the inside and maybe the perception was that you know I got the better of it. But like you talk about retrospection, at the time I was like I got the better of it. Mm. I wasn't going to change. Like my single fin round pin man, take anyone out. And Mark went on the tour the next year and just started devastating everyone on that that twin fin. That technological advancement was there, but I wasn't willing to accept it. I saw it, but I wasn't willing to accept it. So um, in retrospect, like when I look back on that wave now, that wave was like. That wave was a turning point. Uh, it was a turning point in, in, in surfing where, where we'd gone from single fin round pin to multi fins, from, from uh, um, just hardcore power surfing to the age of acceleration. So, retrospection definitely offers you, um, you know, an opportunity to kind of reflect on what's happened, how it's impacted your life, but it's definitely not where you want to live. Right. Helps you give reverence yeah. for times. We took a brief detour for a moment. In addition to his surfing accomplishments, Sean has served as vice president of the ASP from 1990 to 1994. 
He worked for major brands in the surf industry and currently does public speaking at some of the largest companies outside of the surf industry, like Disney, Google, and GM. Our conversation drifted momentarily to the current state of the surf industry. But you, you know, I must say, you know, you're talking about the surf, surfing media. You know, it. Uh, you know, I just try to do good stuff and hopefully people people love it. But it does it does sort of hurt my feelings that the surf media ignore my, you know, have ignored this book. Um, have they? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't seen anything in the surf media about it, and I, I, you know, for me, I like. I wonder why, you know, like, I didn't expect anything, but, but this book has got a pure message, man. It's right. for young people. It's for the, for the people that read that magazine. That maybe there's a kid there who's got a false idol and a false prophet who's taking him down the wrong way. And I'm not saying I'm a prophet or an idol or anything, but I'm just saying that there's some, there's some writing in here that came from a super pure place that from, came from, like, writing 12-foot barrels of pipeline on low tide and, you know, tubes at J-Bay and from putting my life on the line for a dream. Yeah. And I, I would have had an expectation that, okay, well, let's give them a, you know, let's write a few lines about it. Yeah. Uh, a little magazine in Santa Barbara called Deep Magazine, wrote something about my I book. read it yesterday. Uh, Eastern Surfing Magazine, nice little magazine in, uh, in on the East Coast, you know, wrote something about the book. I haven't seen anything from surf, I haven't seen anything from surfing, I sent them the books and phoned them, made phone calls. So... I, I'm just, I just, I just wonder, like, what is the, what do you need? Is there sort of a groove quotient that I'm not understanding? Is there an equation? Is there a progression in surfing of which I'm unaware, is there a, um, a philosophy that is now current, that is so futuristic that I have no understanding of it? Is the kids that I surf with when I go, when I wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning and I paddle out there, I'm surfing with 16 and 17 year old kids and we're all stoked and we're having a good time. Am I not understanding these kids? Do I, not, do I have no... Do I have no um, do we not share a common experience anymore? You do. And what you're identifying is true, that there is a disconnect. What I see it to be is something that I've read that you've talked about with brands that have grown too big for their britches and they've disconnected from their core fan base. And so I think that the answer is yes, for those mainstream publications, there's an agenda. And if what you sent them doesn't fit with the agenda, the world title doesn't matter the history doesn't matter this just doesn't fit with our agenda nothing personal just it doesn't fit moving yeah. on and so but, you know i think but, what, but what, what them happened? doing that eliminates and alienates them from the core customer base yeah, because which is their who you're agenda their agenda if, if if my what i do and because i'm a core hard I, I i would consider myself when people talk about yeah hardcore surfers i'm like when i go down to a surf contest and Kelly and Joel and Mick and they all come up to me and say, oh, man, Sean, we're so stoked you're here and we yeah. talk surf. Man, we are, okay, my days of a pro ended in 1989 when I surfed in my last uh, surf, pro surf contest at Sunset Beach. But we are kindred spirits. We have, a, right. we, have a, we have a connection there. And when I speak to a kid on the beach that's 16 or 17 years old and he 
comes to me and he asks me for some advice about his surfing or his career or his life. I mean, I see myself as uh, as a as a pure as a pure surfer. And when I look at the media and I see these magazines shrinking, I see the surf industry shrinking, I see uh, revenue dropping, I see. Um, I just go well. Why have they become so myopic? Why has why have the modern surf media, why are they speaking to one tiny component of, of the culture? Right. They've become, they've become cultural Nazis in a way, that their way is the highway. And, and like, like you say, they've just alienated the real surfer. The, it's the like original customer they, base. They are appealing. You know what's happened? Is artifice has replaced art. Derivation has replaced inspiration. But you know where the where I see you know why I'm optimistic? I went down to Laguna and I gave a talk on uh, everyone was talking on waveboards. I spoke about jetties, about using jetties to create waves and I, my thesis was that over half the world champions in the world have grown up on jetty breaks. I think more, more surfers have had more great experiences surfing jetty breaks than others. The longest tube ride in my life Bay of Plenty. was Bay of Plenty at jetty breaks. Yeah. So, <clears throat> while I was down there I went down to Thalia Street, this little yeah. reef break there and there was about 20 grommets there. It was 6.30 in the morning, 20 grommets there with moms and dads, stoked out of their brains and uh, with the moms and dads and I just thought wow this is this is surfing and the spirit the purity um, the stoke of surfing man it's yeah it's there it's still you know it's still there yeah it's like that is the that is who surfing really is it's not about a guy you know looking trendy and smoking a cigarette in a, a surf magazine because it's going to give him some James Dean cred um, <laughs> Or you know, a guy like driving a, a an old old van van around a V8, you know, trundling shit and carbon into the atmosphere. But it, man, it looks cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like get real, man. It's yeah. get real. Like stop with the fakery. You know, it's like just get real. Get back to your get back to what's really important. Yeah. You know? It's like uh, get back to um, to. Uh, uh, um, What's important? Read the first issue of Surfer magazine, you know, and read what John Stevenson said about uh, you know getting that perfect wave. Well, I'll take us back to something important real quick as a closer. Um, give me another minute. This is a lengthy intro no to the final question, but I think it'll be a nice way to wrap it up. Um, so my awareness of you from young, when I was young, was just like you as a tube rider essentially you know and i think there's a lot of iconic images and video out there just like at off the wall kind of foam ball riding and weaving you know and um and so that was kind of my awareness of you and um the encyclopedia of surfing you know i read that just got released the uh online, oh, yeah, the online saw that, yeah. yeah the dot com and um they uh included a quote from tracks magazine where you said 
Um, I can remember certain tubes where I was so in control of my mind and body that I actually felt as if I were controlling the wave itself. In the closing sequence of the film Busting Down the Door, which you produced, you included a quote from your son, Matthew. Can I read that? Yeah. Okay. Um, deep inside the, this quote, your son, Matthew, wrote to you, and you can give the story, but, um, quote, deep inside the barrel, completely in tune with my inner self, nothing else mattered. The hard wind and spit shooting past me from behind, my hand dragging along the wall, the light shines ahead. My long hair carried by the wind, my feet are in perfect placement on the board. As I lean forward, I feel myself speeding up, getting faster and faster as the barrel starts to close. I crouch down until my legs burn, and then I pull out to the whole lineup cheering. My body tingles with joy and happiness. That was the day I became a man. End quote. By Matthew Thompson. Um, that has particular sentiment because of um, how I associate with you as being the tube writer and those words from him. Um, you finished the book talking about the sacred circle of the sacred story circle. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the sacred story circle and how that became? Yeah, so, so that essay, that's most probably the best piece of writing I think that's ever been written about tube writing. And, and I've been in a few tubes. Um, and you know, Matthew was a, he was a stoked surfer, but he wasn't like obsessed like I was. Sure. But, I mean, we had amazing moments surfing together. You know, I'd be sitting in the lineup and paddle up to me and throw his arm all around me. And, you know, he, 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 he loved it because I loved it, I think. But he obviously had a unique connection and a spiritual connection. He was a spiritual, spiritual young man. And um, our favorite, you know, he read that essay to me two hours before he died over the phone. He said, Dada, Dada, I want to read this to you. And uh, he read that to me. Wow, I think that's amazing. I said, where did you get that from? I've never read that before. Because I thought it was, you know, taken from that surf uh, publication or book. He said, I wrote it. I wrote it for school today. Wow. Wow, Matthew, that's amazing. I just tingled when I heard it. And then he said, I've got to go. And um, he said, I love you, Dad. I said, I love you too, Matthew. That was the last time I spoke to him. Two hours later, he's dead. So, there's a very bittersweet what he wrote. Um, but it's unbelievably um, just perceptive. And <clears throat> the break, our home break is Hammond's Reef, which is right near where, where I live in Santa Barbara. And uh, we'd go and sit out there and we'd surf there. And we just kind of had this connection to the break. And uh, when he was young, he must have been about 10, on the beach, well, just above the beach, there's a beautiful meadow. It's called Shalawa Meadow. And uh, Shulawa Meadow is a meadow that's de dedicated to the Shumash people, the Shuda mm -hmm. Shumash Native American tribe that used to live and fished in that area. They had a settlement in that area. And the meadow, uh, I'm not sure of the exact story behind the meadow of like who made it sacred land, um, but the Shumash sometimes do ceremonies there. But they have a monument there, and there's a pack dedicated to the Shumash 
And it's a beautiful inscription on this plaque. The sacredness of the land lies in the mind of its people. This land is dedicated to the spirit and memory of the ancestors and their children. It's super, super profound. It's like environmentalism taken to, uh, to a spirit level. Connection to the land, connection to people, children. It's just it's so, so beautiful. So he used to like it. He said one day, he said to me, Dad, let's go, let's go up to the memorial. And we ran up there. And you kind of leave like an offering, like a shell or feather. It's part of the tradition. You'll see there, there's like a lot of stuff there. So then he said, uh, Dad, help me do this. And he ran down the beach. The beach is adjacent to the meadow. It goes from the meadow to cobblestones to beach and then to Hammond's little reef. Bed. So he started picking up cobblestones from the beach and he made a large circle and within that circle he made another circle and I'm helping him along the way and within that he made another. So we have three concentric circles of large concentric circles of cobblestones on the beach. Just Matthew and myself. Sure. No one else on the beach. It's just sort of like a south wind day, like not a good day. It's like a grey day. And inside the innermost circle he put down two stones. So I said, Matthew, what's this? He said, Dad, this is a sacred story circle. Sacred story circle. Now he invented this. You can't really find it in literature. There's no such thing. Native Americans have what they call a talking stick. But the sacred story circle just came from my beautiful son's head. It, and he was nine. He was nine or ten. Nine or ten. But obviously from being in that sacred spiritual place. So he ran off down the beach and got a stick. He said, Dad, this is a sacred story stick. Now in Native American literature, you, know, you can hear about a talking stick pass a stick back and forth and he said whoever's got the stick talks tells a story and he put the uh, feather and some kelp in the stick and we passed it back and forth and we, we just told each other stories you know it's amazing you know when you talk about it like I've never really thought before but that's what I do now. I tell stories. You know, that's what I do. I tell stories of the biggest companies in the world. Cisco. General Motors. And, um... It was the... story was in the last chapter of my first book, called Passing on the Stoke. It's in, in this book. I'll share stories. My newest book. So, it's now my life. It's what I do. I've never, never thought of it that way. So that hour that I spent with my son inside what he created, the Sacred Story Circle, was the best hour I spent at a beach anywhere. That includes the unbelievable tube rides and contest wins and world titles and all that sort of stuff. Just because it's person to person, spirit to spirit, soul to soul, and no cell phones, no nothing. It's being connected and being disconnected at the same time because we were connected within our sacred story circle but we were disconnected from all the extraneous stuff that was happening in the world around us it was, we were inside our own little universe there not dissimilar to when a when you're inside a tube but a tube is just you and nature here it's me nature and my boy it was just magnificent it was beautiful it was emotional it was electric but it comes to an end, you know, like everything in our lives, that moment came to an end. 
and uh, said we go home. And I, I walk in the door, and he digs in his pocket and he pulls out one of the stones. So I say, Matthew, what's that? He said, Dada, this is a sacred story stone from Sacred Story Circle. And you know all the stories we told today? He points to it. They're all inside that stone. And he puts the stone outside our front door. And that's where the stone is today. So whenever I walk into my front door, I see the Sacred Story Stone and it takes me back to that time and all the stories that we told inside the stone. But I didn't remember the stories. Mm. The stories, I didn't think were what was significant. The significance was we were talking spirit to spirit. And the spirit speaks in, I think, a different language that we can't really understand. So I, my son and I, my son in the physical sense is dead, but our spirits, our spirit is alive, and my spirit is alive, and our spirits, spirit to spirit. Was it a huntsman or a player that made you pay the cost that now assumes relaxed positions and prostitutes your loss? Were you tortured by your own thirst in those pleasures that you seek that made you Tom the curious that makes you James the weak? A link to Sean's new book, The Code, can be found on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And you claim you got something going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Sean and today's show. Please continue this conversation on our website in the comments section. We also have video clips of Sean surfing and links to everything that we discussed in this show. If you listen to Surf Splendor on iTunes or Stitcher, please rate the show and leave a comment. It helps grow the show and it helps others to find it. You can find past episodes featuring conversations with Aaron Chang, Chris Cote, Eric Arakawa, Tom Parrish, Robert August, and many more on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, where everything is archived for free. Click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher, and all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Also, we have an internship available for an associate producer. If you love surfing and storytelling, go to our website and send us your resume. It's a great opportunity to meet legends of our sport like Sean Thompson. A final thank you to Sean Thompson for sharing your story with me and our audience. We are grateful for the purity of your message and your stoke. This is David Scales saying thanks for listening to Surf Splendor. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. This story is very, very important for me, and uh, um, it's kind of what I do now. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. That's that's what I do. I, t- I, I tell uh, I tell my stories, and hopefully, um, hopefully, they'll inspire people. <laughs> my mission, kind of, with the podcast is storytelling, specifically. Like I've used that word a lot myself Perfect. with this mission. So, um, 
and I think the listenership that we've developed value story. You know, it's not sensationalized, and it's yeah. not. It's just stories about surfing is the tagline, and so um, I hope that we can continue the storytelling awesome. in awesome. this form. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. I really know well, it's, it's wonderful what you're doing, and it's amazing that I, you know, I just never realized. You know, the whole. I mean, I realized just like how significant it was because it's it's the last chapter in both my books. You know. I think that that connection one to one is like so important uh, it is. in our lives. Uh, but that's what I do now. Yeah. Well, I could continue on for hours, so I, I really appreciate it. No, but thanks. I'm so sorry I was late. No, it's okay. Soon you know I'll leave you, and I'll never look behind. Because I was born for the purpose that crucifies your mind. So can't convince your mirror. As you've always done before Giving substance to shadows Giving substance evermore And you assume you got something to offer Secret shiny and new But how much of you is repetition That you didn't whisper to him too